grips the heart within a curse on fallen men this pride and selfishness we hold inside though we were all condemned we had a loving friend who came to save us he lived a perfect life gave the blind their sight fulfilled the things foretold by prophecy he humbly took his cross and died to save the lost their sins forgiven the greatest story ever told is of this jesus how he I'm so thankful for who Jesus is. I'm thankful for God's amazing grace. I'm thankful I'm saved today, not because of the works that I've done, but because of God's amazing grace, what Christ did there on Calvary's cross. Would you sing, just sing the first verse with me? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for the great story. 
most wonderful story I've ever heard, Lord, the greatest story of all, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that we can know you. Thank you for making it possible, Lord, that our sins are forgiven. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today, and Lord, I pray that we would enjoy the amazing grace. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone that's here today that does not know you as their personal Savior, Lord, that they would be gloriously saved today. They would experience your grace, your love, your forgiveness, your mercy. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Lord, encourage us, strengthen us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, Palm Sunday is an exciting day. It's a, as we remember what took place in the last days of Jesus' life here on earth. As we see the days coming close to the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that Jesus, and we, if you follow through his life, you see he's there in Jericho, and he's going on the Jericho way on his way to Jerusalem, and doing many miracles on his way, and uh, one of which was raising Lazarus from the dead. Can you imagine hearing about a man that raised somebody from the dead? The people were talking about it. Many people were saying, hey, he raised Lazarus from the dead. The word was being uh, made abroad. People were yelling it out, letting him know, Jesus, he raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and there was many miracles that he did. And as he's making his way from Bethany, he then goes over the, 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 uh, the um, um, Mount of Olives. And there he is as he's going over the Mount of Olives. He comes down and he's getting ready to go into the eastern gate of Jerusalem. In that day, the people had, had been praying that God would send the Messiah. In that day, the people were looking for signs of the Messiah. And one of the signs they were looking for was somebody that did miracles. And Jesus, he fulfilled all those miracles. And all the different prophecies that needed to be fulfilled about the coming Messiah, Jesus met every single one of them. Jesus Christ was born in the right place, and Jesus Christ, he did the miracles. Jesus Christ, he proclaimed and, 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 and was a great teacher and rabbi, and people heard him and saw him. People followed after him, and there was a multitude of people that were looking for the Messiah to come. And the reason they were looking is because they were under great oppression. The Romans had come down, there was great oppression, and they had been praying for years, and crying out to God that God would send the Messiah, that they would be delivered from their bondage. Well, God did send the Messiah, and He did come, and Jesus Christ was there, and He, he showed all the, the truth of the fact that He was the Messiah by the miracles that He did. And as He began to, to, to come into Jerusalem, entering the eastern gate, by the way, another fulfillment of prophecy, that the Messiah would enter from the Mount of Olives and come through the eastern gate. And so as he comes in, the people in Matthew 21, 9, it says this, and the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And you can just imagine all the throngs of people in great excitement, welcoming what they, at the time, they're saying, this is the Messiah. He has come. He's come to set us free. He is going to be our king. He's the king of kings. He is the one that is Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And they're laying down these palm branches in front of him. The same thing they would have done for a king that's coming triumphantly into the city. And they were lifting him up, and they were laying down their garments, and they were crying out who he is. And you can just imagine all the excitement Imagine if you were living under great oppression. We look at what's happening in the world today, and there's some countries that are under great oppression. I think of Ukraine right now and all the oppression. They're looking for some deliverance. They're looking for somebody to come. The, the, the Israelites, they had been under great oppression for hundreds of years, and they're looking for deliverance. And they're crying out to God that God would send the Messiah. And it looks as though here he is. He's right there before him. There they are worshiping him. 
And Christ comes in fulfilling prophecy even on what he wrote as he came in, as we read in uh, Zechariah earlier. And here he is as he is riding in there on the foal of that donkey and he comes in and he is riding and they're welcoming him in great anticipation that he's going to deliver them, he's going to set them free. Their idea of deliverance and freedom, though, was different than what Jesus Christ's idea of freedom and deliverance was. They were looking at the oppression of man. They were looking at being set free from the bondage that they were in under the Roman authority. And yet Jesus Christ, he was coming for a far greater purpose than that. He was coming that he might set free all of mankind, that he might set us free from the bondage of sin. But if you were there that day, you would have thought that, boy, this is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords coming in. And he was exactly that. But they misunderstood what he was there to do. But that week, here's this great big welcome on Palm Sunday, and everybody's excited. And that week, though, Jesus, he proceeds to go into the temple, and he cleanses the temple. And man, he made a lot of people upset and angry when he did that. Selling, trying to get money in exchange for people having forgiveness of sin selling religion, trying to take advantage of people and having power over them in order for them to actually have an offering to be able to, 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 to be a picture of a covering of their sin. Jesus went in and called them thieves and robbers. He, he cleanses the temple and he goes in there, made a lot of people angry. His time hadn't come yet for him to be crucified. They tried to grab him. They tried to arrest him, but he was able to get away. Of course, I say he was able. God is always able. <laughs> he knew exactly what their thoughts what their purposes were. He was able to avoid it at that time because the time had not yet come. You see, because he was the precious Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Passover was coming. The Day of Atonement was coming. It wasn't time yet for that Lamb to be slain. Jesus, that week, he met with his disciples there in that upper room. There he is with his disciples and before they gathered together for that dinner, that supper, that dinner for the, the, the Passover, he knelt down there as the custom was. The servant of the lowest of them, at the lowest esteem in the room, would bow down and, and wash the feet of those that came in. But no, there was Jesus knelt down there. Can you picture it? The King of kings and the Lord of lords bowing down and washing their feet. Knowing the kind of garbage that would have been on the streets in that day and the, how horrible it would be to be able to wash that and humbling into yourself. And here he is. He washes their feet. And he sits down with them. He sups with them. He breaks the bread. This do in remembrance of me. Talking about his body is going to be broken. The juice, talking about his blood that would be spilt to cover our sin. There he is. He's trying to even get his disciples to understand what's about to happen. They still were looking at him as, yes, he's the Messiah. They're, they were trying to decide who's going to be the, the best, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom that's ready to come. Here he is. He's marched in Jerusalem. He's fulfilled all the prophecy. He is the King of kings. He's the Messiah. He's come. That's what Christ means, by the way. Jesus Christ means he's Jesus, Messiah. That's what it means. He, he's here. Who, he's going to be setting up his kingdom, and yet Christ is trying to get them to understand. He must die. He must be crucified. He breaks that bread. He passes it and pours that cup and passes it and tries to get them to understand once again what the, the picture, what, it, what is a picture of his body and his blood being 
sacrificed for our debt, our sin. And after that, he made his way across the Kidron Valley once again out of the, out of, out of the upper room there in Jerusalem and made his way down across the Kidron Valley on to the Mount of Olives once again. And he went to this garden that he was well familiar with. Garden of Gethsemane, it's called. Garden of Gethsemane was in a place where it would have been very expensive. The property there is very expensive. Even in that day, it would have been very expensive to have any property on the Mount of Olives because prophecy foretold that the Messiah was going to come back and he was going to come to the Mount of Olives and he was going to enter the Eastern Gate just like Jesus did that Palm Sunday. People in that day, they would be buying property there and there's, you could even go today and still see it. There, there's sepulchers and there's graveyards where throughout the centuries people have bought that property to buy a, just a place to be buried there's millions of dollars even today you can see it yourself but there he is he goes over to this beautiful garden it's called the garden of gethsemane the, the garden that word gethsemane it literally means oil press you can still go there today and see the garden of gethsemane you see the olive trees that are there some that are very old some they say perhaps even were there when jesus was there but he goes into that garden, getting away, getting a place to pray. It's interesting, the garden is called Gethsemane, meaning oil pressed. Significant because Jesus was about to be crushed and pressed so the oil of salvation would flow freely to the world. It's getting close to that time. This side of heaven, we may never understand what Jesus went through that night in that garden. We may never understand. You know, even our vocabulary could not possibly describe what he went through that night. I want you to go with me there. Would you take that journey with me? I want us to go to that place. I want us to imagine what it would have been like to be there in that garden that night, to be one of those disciples. Peter, James, and John. There they are with Jesus. Jesus is going to go to pray, and he tells Peter, James, and John, you go over there and you pray. Would you pray for me? I need your prayer. I want you to go there with me. I want us to go for that walk. I want you to see what took place. I want us to look through the, the eyes of Scripture. I want you to imagine what it would have been like. And I want to approach this message today with great reverence. We're on holy ground. As we walk together in that garden, Christ is there. There are several palms we'll notice along the way. We talk about Palm Sunday. I want to look at it from a little bit different perspective. And I want you to, first of all, notice with me today as we notice palms of sorrow. Palms of sorrow. Look, if you would, there at verse number 37, Matthew 26, verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry you here and watch with me. That phrase there that we just read, exceeding sorrowful, it comes from one Greek word meaning surrounded by sorrow. Surrounded in a whirlpool of sorrow, engulfed by sorrow. That's what Jesus says that he's in. 
Why did he experience the sorrow in the garden? There's three reasons why. First of all, the emotional suffering that he was going through. Here he's about to endure going through some great emotional suffering. He, he is going to be subjected to every negative element and attack possible, every emotional and element of attack it possibly could have. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were drops of blood falling down to the ground. Can you imagine? As he's there kneeling down, palms of sorrow. Sweating drops of blood. Placing those palms perhaps over his face as he's sweating those drops of blood. Can you picture it? Now add to that the stress of the reminders of the unbelief of people calling him a liar. All that called him a blasphemer. You know, it hurts to have your integrity challenged or doubted. Your sincerity questioned. Imagine as he's there, the rejection of the people. A few days before, there he is. He is marching into Jerusalem, and, and he's there as being, being welcomed as a king. And now he knows just very quickly he's going to be completely 100% turned from. People are going to completely turn away from him. People are going to stop going after and following after him. He's going to have people that are going to reject him, people that are going to scream at him. People are going to reel out with great hatred. Hatred of religious leaders as well. Great betrayal. Betrayal by Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples. Traveled with him for three years. Heard Jesus preach, heard Jesus teach, heard Jesus pray. Slept in the same house with him. Saw all the miracles. Could it betray him? For 30 pieces of silver? By the way, 30 pieces of silver is the price of a slave in this day. Can you imagine? And if that's not enough, the coming denial of his, his own, the ones that actually believed in him, the ones that were actually following him for the right reasons, the denial. And he already predicted what Peter was going to do. And then the coming desertion of all of his disciples and the injustice of his coming trial. Talk about injustice. If there ever was an injustice in this world, it would be that they would call Jesus Christ a blasphemer. Being called a blasphemer, being convicted of something he was not guilty of. He was God in the flesh. What he claimed was true. They said it was a lie. They went against all the law. They went against everything. They, they wanted him dead. Justice. It wasn't just going to be a false trial, though. He knew about what they were going to do. He knew that they were going to ridicule him further. They knew that he knew they would spit upon him. He knew that he would be ripped naked from his clothes and be torn off his body. Open shame. You know, if you or I experienced any one of the above, that we would be so devastated. We'd be so overwhelmed. Just one of them. But Jesus was enduring all of this, all at the same time it was coming down upon him. We often think, well, he's God. Yeah, but he was all man too. It hurts. 
hurts when people deny you. It hurts when people reject you. It hurts when people turn their back on you. It hurts when people hit you. You know, salvation may be free to us, but I'll tell you what, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. The palms of sorrow upon his face, he endured emotional suffering. Not only emotional suffering, but physical suffering. He knew what awaited him. He knew about that cross. He knew. They say that a cross was like a thousand deaths. He knew what awaited him. Verse 38, it makes it clear his emotional suffering led to physical suffering immediately, even unto death, the Bible says. The suffering was so great, it was so close, it was bringing him even unto death. His physical body recoils at the thought the thought of what he's going to have to go through. I can tell you this, he wasn't afraid to die. No, he had complete peace about dying. It was going through the process of it, knowing as a God, being all God, knowing exactly what he was going to be put through as he's crucified on that cross. Knowing about the nail that's going to pierce through his hands. Knowing about the nail that's going to go through his feet. Knowing and seeing the blood as he feels it drip down his face of the thorn, the crown of thorns that are going to be placed on his head. I don't know about you, but there's times when I knew that something was coming and it was going to hurt. And it wasn't easy. Can you imagine knowing every last minute detail of what it was going to be like to be crucified? Can you see the palms of sorrow? As Jesus looks down, thinking of what's to come. But you know the worst part of his suffering, it wasn't the physical suffering. It wasn't the emotional suffering. No, the worst part was the spiritual suffering. In verse number 39, notice what it says there. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You see, he picked up that cup with his palms, his hands. And in that cup was much more than physical and emotional suffering. You see, for in that cup was the wrath of God for the sin of all humanity. The wrath of God for the sin of you and for me. The wrath of God, the accumulated sin for all the ages about to be laid upon the sinless, perfect Son of God. And from the cup of God's wrath, He would drink. Well, listen, we could never even possibly pretend to imagine the repugnance that He must have felt at the thought of becoming our sin. Can you imagine what it must have been for him to know that he was going to take your sin and my sin? To know here is a God that is in the flesh. Here is Jesus Christ. He is sinless. He was tempted in all points as we are and was yet without sin. Here he is. He's never one time known sin. He's never one time been separated from his Father in heaven. He's never one time bore sin at all. But now he's going to take that upon himself. knows that he's going to be crying from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because our sin was placed on him. Yes. We see palms of sorrow there in Gethsemane. 
We also see palms of surrender, though. Look at verse 42, if you would. And he went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Here we see in his humanity he may have buried his face in his palms of sorrow, but thank God he looked up with palms of surrender and he said to his father, Thy will be done. I'm so thankful that he did. We need it for him too. There'd be no hope if it wasn't for what Christ did for us. We talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. I want to talk about another garden too. Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we see the first Adam. He exerted his own will and brought about the ruin and damnation of the human race. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he didn't exert his own will, but he deserted his own will. And in so doing, he brought about the redemption of the human race. The first Adam said, My will be done. Brought about death. The last Adam said, Thy will be done. And the result was salvation. Salvation for me. Salvation for anyone who would trust in Christ as their Savior. Salvation from hell and separation from God eternally. Being in torment, separated from God for all eternity. I'm so thankful that God loved us so much that He did all that was required that nobody has to go to that place. Because Jesus Christ surrendered His will, humanly will, that human will, that human will of knowing the suffering He's going to go through. And then He said, not my will, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Thy will be done. I'll do what You want me to do, Lord. Father, I'll do what You want me to do. Let me ask you today, will you do what God wants you to do? Thank the Lord that with palms of surrender, He did God's will. Do we surrender to God's will? Are we telling the truth when we sing songs like, All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. And that truly ought to be our prayer. We ought to surrender all. We ought to be willing to surrender ourselves. You know, Satan tries to keep us busy and give us alternatives and uh, being faithful to God, being faithful to church, being faithful in reading our Bible, being faithful in, in, in praying, being faithful in service, being faithful in the ministries that God has for us. He tries to put all kinds of things in the way of that. God deserves better than that. With complete and total palms of surrender, He willingly gave all for us. We should as well. We ought to give all to Him. We ought to be willing to surrender ourselves to Him completely. We've seen palms of sorrow, His palms of sorrow. We've seen His palms of emotional suffering and, and physical suffering and spiritual suffering. 
palms of surrender. Thy will be done, he said. And thirdly and lastly, I want you to notice in verse 50, notice the palms of submission. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. They laid their hand, palms on him. They put their palms on him and they grabbed him and they took him. And then in verse 51 it says, And behold, one of them which were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put up again thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? In that same hour, Jesus said, Jesus, uh, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out against as a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid not, not hold on me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Jesus knew they were coming. While he was praying there, as he was sweating those drops of blood, he knew that they were coming. He knew it because of who he was. He knew the time was come. But he knew it also because he could feel the ground shaking from the, the trampling of the, the, the marching flea, feet that were coming. They were coming. They could hear the sounds of the mob. Can you imagine that garden, the quiet of night, all of a sudden hearing the sound of the, the, the marching through. And you can hear all the different swords that are clanging back and forth. And you see the lit, uh, lighted torches. And you can hear all the noise that's coming. Jesus knew they were coming, but he didn't run. He didn't resist. With palms of submission, he did what he had already committed to do. He had surrendered to God. And now he was submitting to man, submitting himself. Submitting himself as that precious lamb of God, that lamb Lamb without spot or blemish. The perfect Lamb of God. Submitting Himself to these sinners. These wretched people. The Bible says it was a great multitude. Look at verse 48 if you would. Now he that betrayed Him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is He. Hold Him fast. Forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him. Betrayed with a kiss. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine the sounds of what's going on here? And here's Jesus. You've just seen him praying. You've seen him sweating drops of blood. Now there's all this noise and he's submitting himself to, as to God and now he's subjecting himself to man. He knows what he's here for. He knows why he's going to die. He knows what he's going to do for you and I. He's dying for us. He's going to lay himself down because he loves us. In verse 51, we see now Peter's awake. <laughs> Does something rash like Peter did often pulls out a sword, he tries to take off the head of one of the guards. Instead, he misses, he takes off the ear. Now, that's not very good either, but it's a whole lot better than your head. You see what Jesus does? 
First of all, he says, put that sword away. Takes up that word. Can you imagine you're there to arrest Jesus Christ, right? You're going to take him away for blasphemy because he's not who he says he is? He picks up the ear of the soldier that's there to arrest him and miraculously puts it right back on his head. Can you imagine? I'm glad that the Lord showed that. It's just amazing how blind people can be doing this. God doesn't love me. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. God loves you. You know, it was a good thing for Peter that Christ did that miracle as well. I have a feeling that Peter might have been hanging on the cross too if it hadn't happened that way. Think about that. Today's Palm Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But today, we need to be reminded of the time leading up to that when Christ died and paid his, our sin debt. The challenges that he went through and the decision that he had to make. You see, he had to make decisions. It wasn't easy. He had a cup. A cup filled with sorrow and suffering. Spiritual suffering as well. Let me ask you, what's in your cup? What's in your cup? Sorrow? Are you sorrowing today? Carrying a heavy burden? Suffering? Is it emotional? Maybe physical? Spiritual suffering? We all have that cup. We all have difficulties in our life. We all have sorrow and suffering. There's emotional, physical, spiritual. We all struggle with in life. Yes, we live in a sin-sick world, and we all have these things in our life. What's in your cup? Will you surrender it to God? Thy will be done. God, I know I'm going through this difficult thing, but I want your will to be done. You know what God's first will for your life is? Is that you come to know Christ as your personal Savior. What's in your cup today? Aside from the Lord Jesus Christ, you will die one day. You'll take your last breath here on this earth. And you'll be cast into hell for, for in, 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 into hell for all eternity. Separated from God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. You have to come to the place where you trust God. That you'll believe that Jesus Christ paid your sin debt. Believe that he died for you on that cross and that he rose again the third day and by faith trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and say, Lord, thy will be done. I'm going to trust in you. And when we get saved, we have to make a decision then as well. God has a will for us then after we get saved to get baptized, make it public. That takes submission. So does the decision to be faithful in church, being faithful in reading our Bible, being faithful in service, being faithful in witnessing, being faithful in doing right and being honest, 
being faithful in, in, in giving as the Lord has blessed us and, and, and being faithful in giving of our offerings and our tithe, being faithful in, in responding as God speaks to your heart, being faithful in coming to an altar. Make a decision. Thy will be done. Whose will are you living by in your life? I'm so thankful today that Jesus Christ was willing to submit himself to the will of his Father, even though it cost him so greatly. I'm thankful today because of what Jesus Christ did, I'm saved. And I'm thankful today because of what Christians that came after Jesus Christ that have passed the baton from one generation to the next were faithful and doing what God had called them to do. And as a result of their faithfulness today, I heard the gospel at a very young age in my life and I trusted in Christ as my Savior. They were willing to do God's will even when it cost them something. As martyrs for the ages that had given their life because they were saying, Thy will be done. They were willing to suffer. They were willing to go through sorrow. And God used it. Is God working in your life today? What's in your cup? Let's all stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we pray. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay our sin debt. Thank you, Jesus, for being the Lamb of God, our sacrifice, our propitiation, our atoning sacrifice. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying for us. You loved us so much. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray that we'd submit ourselves to your will for our life. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, let me ask you, do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you been born again? Has there been a time and a place in your life when you realized that you were a sinner? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You, you realize that no matter how good you tried to be, you couldn't be perfect. None of us can. And you believe that Jesus Christ died for you. He paid your sin debt on Calvary's cross. For the wages of sin is death. That's why Christ died. You believe He died for you, but you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You accepted that gift of eternal life by believing in your heart, by confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus, by praying and asking Him to come into your heart, asking Him to forgive you, believing and trusting, calling on Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you called on Him? Have you been born again today? Do you know for sure, based on the promise of God's Word, that you're on your way to heaven? If that's your testimony, would you lift your hand up high today and say, yes, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. God bless me. Put your hands down. Listen, if you're here this morning, you don't have that peace. You don't know. God wants you to know today. God wants you to have that peace. God has given us His Word that we may know. God wants you to be saved today. He wants your sins to be covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And it all starts with you believing that God's word is true and believing that you're a sinner, as the word of God says. That's all of us. None of us are righteous. And he's doing right all the time. 
Is God speaking to your heart right now? Does the thought of where you'll spend eternity cause doubt or confusion or fear? God doesn't want you to leave this way. God wants you to know today that you're on your way to heaven. Could I pray for you? I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out, I promise, but I will pray. But perhaps you're here today. You say, preacher, I'll be honest right now. I don't know for sure, 100% sure, that I'm going to heaven. I don't know if I died this moment that I'd go to heaven. Could I pray for you today? Would you just slip your hand up, anybody like that? You say, I don't have that peace. I don't know that. God bless you. I see your hand. You say, I don't know. I don't have that peace. Can I pray for you today? Would you slip your hand up? God sees your hand. Most importantly, though, God sees your heart. God wants you to trust in Him today. In just a moment, we're going to have our time. We call an invitation. We invite people to come. Christians to come and perhaps to pray. You might be here today, though, but you don't have the peace of knowing that you're on your way to heaven. And when we have this moment, we invite people to come. Heads will be bowed, eyes will be closed, and I'll invite you to step out and come. If you're a lady, we'll have one of our ladies open up the Word of God in the side room over here and show you from the Word of God how you can be saved today and know it based on the promise of God's Word. If you're a man, we'll have one of our men show you. Does God speak into your heart? Christian, you say, I'm a child of God. I know I'm going to heaven. What's in your cup today? Sorrow? Suffering? What are you struggling with? That weight that you're carrying? Will you surrender it to God? You say, thy will be done. Are you submitting to God in your life? Christian, would you thank Him today? If we could but see how much He loves us, won't you tell Him you love Him back? Won't you demonstrate that in your life? Won't you submit yourself to His will? Won't you lay that burden at His feet? Stop carrying it. Lord, I pray that you'd move in this invitation. Lord, speak to our hearts. I pray for those that are here today that do not know for sure they're on their way to heaven. Lord, I pray that they would come and trust in you as their personal Savior today. Lord, I pray for every person that's here that we would respond as you speak. As your Holy Spirit has spoken to our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would respond. And Lord, I know it's going to take submission, but Lord, that we would submit ourselves to you. We'd obey your voice. Lord, speak to us now. Lead us, I pray in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, 